Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today, my beloved, is the first Sunday of the blessed month of Abib, and uh, all the readings of this month focus on how the Lord supported the disciples and He supports the church. Uh, and today's reading comes to us from uh, the Gospel of St. Luke, uh, chapter 10, where He sends out the 70 apostles, two by two, to go before Him, before the places where He Himself will go. Um, and the Lord was preparing the disciples to go. So in the three and a half years that the Lord was ministering here on earth, His his primary role, or one of His roles was to prepare the disciples to then preach His name or preach the gospel to the rest of the world. So He's preparing them, and at the same time, at the same time He wants them to go and prepare the people for the good news is that they will hear and see from Himself. Um, and this is actually the work of the church and the work of every believer. So as Christ prepared the disciples, the disciples then, after they were prepared, prepared the next generation. So in the succession, uh, the succession from one generation to another, it's our responsibility now to prepare the people in the world to receive the gospel. Um, and this was even what uh, if you remember what the angel told Zacharias about John the Baptist, what was his role? It said, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to their God. So the idea of to have the people be ready for him and, uh, through repentance. And it says he will go before him, before Christ, and the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of, our, of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom uh, of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Uh, and he says the same uh, basically today. Uh, as he appoints the 70, he sends them out before his face into every city that he himself will go. So the first question we can ask is, who, uh, who is responsible for preparing the people? Who's responsible, who is participant, I guess we could say, in preparing the people to receive the Lord? Uh it actually doesn't even begin with humanity. It begins with the angels. Uh, St. Paul in his letter to the Hebrews, he says, regarding the angels, he says, are they not ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? So the angels are ministering to us. And as we know, every one of us who has been baptized is assigned a guardian angel who reports to God the things that we do during, through the day and helps us in our daily struggle against uh, sin uh, and temptation. And this is why in the conclusion of every prayer and the Agbeya prayers, we say, surround us with your heavenly angels so we may be guarded and guided by them. So we believe that we are guarded and guided by the angels and they help us in uh, our journey to the Lord. So they're responsible also for preparing the people as well uh, to receive the uh, message of the good news of the gospel. Of course, the church is um, responsible for preparing the people. As St. Paul says regarding um, the church, he says, For I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present to you a chaste virgin in Christ. So it's the, the church's responsibility, or part of the responsibility of the church is to prepare the people of the world to be brides of Christ. And this is not just limited to the people who are within these walls, but to all of the world, all of the community that we serve. Uh, and also he said to the disciples in the Great Commission, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. So 
he expected the disciples to go and prepare the people to receive this good news. Also, perhaps most importantly, the responsibility lies on the family. The family, it's their responsibility to prepare their children. And to be quite honest, if every family did their role preparing their children to receive the Lord and to live a godly and holy life, then really be no need for Sunday school. There was no Sunday school in the early church. This is something of much later development. Because it was expected in the families that they would raise their children in the fear of God, teach them the faith, and so on. And a lot of this fell on the the mothers. The men would be off uh, working, and the mothers would stay at home to raise their children in the fear of God. Unfortunately, this has lost its nobility in our society for to have a mother stay home and raise her children in the fear of God. Although this is the most of noble works, you know, at the end of the day, we can have our career and we can make money, but at the end of this, all this goes away. But the legacy of our family and our children, this is what will stay. His Holiness Pope Shenouda said, the mother can give her children many times what Sunday school might give a child. If you think about how much time is spent at home versus the one hour or maybe even less that is spent in Sunday school. And if we maybe combine all the camps and everything else, it maybe doesn't even, you know, come up to a week or two weeks the whole year, right? Um, in terms of hours. But the time we spend in the family is far more greater and the influence of the family is far greater. Uh, and it shouldn't be understated the role of the mother is very powerful in raising uh, her children. And if you ever notice, typically when the oath is being taken in the baptism, the child, the, the, the mother is one holding the child and takes the oath on behalf of this child. Because there is a great influence. Not to say that the father doesn't have an influence, but in the beginning, it's often the mother who is there uh, and has uh, the, the patience and everything to teach the child and to rear them. Uh, the family uh, unit as a whole provides a place where uh, children can be protected. Their purity can be protected. And perhaps this is something that's of vital importance nowadays uh, with all of the um, onslaught of technology and all that's uh, coming uh, down the pipeline. If we look, for example, out of a couple of women who are very influential in their family, the first we can think of Jacobed, who was the mother of Moses and Aaron and Miriam. You know, Moses was the, uh, the prophet, Miriam was the prophetess, and Aaron was the high priest. And all of them was from the, uh, their mother, Jacobed. What kind of mother was she? As she's putting Moses into uh, the river where the reeds are so his child can be protected. A woman full of faith. She was able to deliver to him the love for his people and that stayed with him while he was in the time of Pharaoh's house. You know, what kind of influence was this? He remembered this. All of these, whether it's the church, the family, or the angels, the goal is we all work together so that the people can be be prepared to receive uh, the Lord. What are we preparing them for? What do we prepare the people for? Many different things. Perhaps we prepare them for the day of judgment. The Lord teaches us in many of the parables to be ready for the day of judgment. And all of us will give an account of our stewardship, what we have been given in this world, and what we, how we use the things of the world to bring people to His knowledge and to spread the good news to the rest of the world. When we're faithful, over the little we have, he gives us more. 
When we're not faithful, even what we have, He takes from us. So all these things will be a given account for. Uh, perhaps uh, uh, we're all uh, called to prepare the people for the day of judgment we will face the Lord. And of course, this moment of judgment can either be a time of celebration and joy, or it can be a time of fear and anxiety, um, depending, of course, on how we live our life. But regardless, it will certainly be a fearful moment. And this perhaps will take us or push us to always conclude that we need His mercy and we seek His mercy. Those who ponder on the day of judgment will always find faults in their life and deficiencies in their life. And this will push us and drive us to beg God for His mercy. Because at the end of the day, the only way we are, any of us are going uh, to pass this day in peace is by His mercy. Because at the end of the day, we have all sinned and fallen short. Perhaps it's our responsibility to prepare the people for eternity, to learn perhaps how to love prayer, how love praise, to not fear uh, death, to understand that death is just a transition from one world to the next world. And the world, you know, how we prepare here, if we prepare well, the next world will be far better than the world we live in today. Perhaps remembering eternity and investing in eternity will lead one to repentance and to lead a holy and godly life. Perhaps as we prepare people for eternity, we try to attach uh, ourselves and them to heaven. Um, and this is what St. Paul beautifully expressed in Philippians. Uh, he says what, For to me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Why is it gain for you to die, Paul? If I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. It means I will serve you and I'll bear the fruit of this. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with the Lord, which is far better. So he expresses his, his, uh, his contention between himself. Do I stay here and benefit the people that I serve? Or would I prefer to be with Christ and, uh, and I die and be with Christ? He says that's better to be with Christ. But if I stay here, according to God's will, I serve and I, uh, and I gain the fruit from this service. We're also perhaps called to prepare the people to be a beacon of light and truth in the world. And this again is, if there's any mission nowadays that's of vital importance, it's this one in the church. To be a beacon of truth and a beacon of faith. This light to the world that now seems like the truth has, uh, has evaded many and there are many ideas that confuse many people. And we need to be, at least when people look at us, say, you know what, there's still people who make sense. There's still people who fear God and love God. And of course, this light is His light that we reflect into the world. Perhaps we're also called to prepare the people to face the her heresies or wrong teachings or wrong ideologies. St. Peter, he says uh, to the believers, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason of, uh, for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So he's telling the churches the, the, around uh, the Asia Minor, he's telling them to be ready to give an account to those who ask you about the hope that's in you. 
So we're not giving an account to fellow believers, but we're giving an account to the people who don't believe. Again, as a way to prepare them to receive the message of Christianity. So often when we read the Synexarium, we see how they uh, our forefathers, um, uh, with great courage and bravery, they confessed Christ before kings and rulers and before all of the people, and even gave their life. And through this sacrifice, many people believed, even the kings and the rulers. And this is perhaps another one. Perhaps, you know, we are called to prepare, you know, uh, ourselves and the future generation for martyrdom. It's very easy for our forefathers who are our brethren in Egypt, who have been persecuted, you know, since the church began, to have this concept of, you know, when I'm Christian, I might die for my Christianity. But we come here and this idea evades us. We're in America. It was once a Christian country. There are civil rights here and all of this stuff. But the day I think is coming where this will no longer be the case. Will we be prepared or will we not? I know it's sometimes an uncomfortable conversation uh, to have or uh, uncomfortable to talk about. But perhaps we need to begin speaking about this and really considering, you know, what it means to be a martyr. And perhaps, you know, as we begin to witness to the truth and we maybe lose a job because of it or we lose friends because of it, this is the beginning. You know, our brethren, the 21 martyrs who were slaughtered on the beach of Syria faithfully with courage and strength, this their martyrdom didn't begin on the beach. It perhaps began long before when they were growing up in an atmosphere where they weren't accepted, where they were ostracized, where they were ridiculed, mocked, and so on. All of this prepared them for this moment. Perhaps we're called as a church to be ready for something like this. And all of this preparation can... uh, whether it's, again, the church or the family or the angels, they can prepare us through chastisement and through prayer and encouragement. St. Paul tells his disciple Timothy, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. So sometimes there's chastisement. We have to say, you know, when there's something wrong, that there's something wrong. He tells his disciple Timothy, when you teach, rebuke. And chastise. Again, this is something nowadays. No, we shouldn't. You know, it's not. It's not uh, good. We might hurt a, a kid's feeling if we chastise them or rebuke them. What are we talking about, right? As parents and adults, we need to be the adults. We need to be the ones who guide and chastise and rebuke the younger generations to teach them how to fear God, to teach them how to respect one another, to teach them how to serve one another. Also, this can be through prayer and encouragement. And this is the delicate balance between chastisement or rebuke and encouragement and prayer. It needs both, my beloved. St. Paul says to the Romans, We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. Please his neighbor for his good, for his edification, for his growth. You know, to make ready a people to know God, they have to see Him in us, right? 
And sometimes it's inconvenient. Sometimes we have to swallow our pride. Right? Sometimes we have to sacrifice. All of this will prepare the people to receive the Lord. So in the Gospel of today, really quickly, to end, how does the Lord prepare His disciples as they go? What does He want them to do as they go out preparing the people to receive the good news? The first thing we notice is that He sends them out two by two. In the book of Ecclesiastes, it says two are better than one. Why are two better than one? Because they have a good reward for their labor. For if if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. So he sends them out two by two to lift them up. When they fall, the other restores him. Woe is the one who goes through this world thinking he knows everything or she knows everything and they no, no need for a counselor, no need for advice. I have everything figured out. I read a lot and I get all my information from books. But books don't teach a life. Books can give you information, but they can't show you how to live. This is why the idea of discipleship in the tradition of Orthodox tradition is so vital, right? Every monk who goes in or novice who goes into a monastery is assigned a spiritual father. Not to share with him information that he can read, but to show him the life of a monastic or to show him the Christian life and virtues. It's much better to see virtue than to read about it. And sometimes, uh, when there's, or all, when there's two, there could be different ideas. So this teaches us humility, to listen to the other, not thinking that my way is the right way and only right way, but to listen to the other in humility. The Lord Christ himself, who of course knew everything and knew what he was going to do, when it came to feed the 5,000, he asked the disciples, what should we do? Although he knew what he should do, he knew what he was going to do, and he knew what they were going to do. But in humility, he asked them to participate in thinking together, what should we do? And you know what? Maybe as they thought, okay, he's valuing what we're going to say, let's give him some ideas. This got them on board to participate in the work. He attracted them by allowing them to participate in the idea and coming up with some suggestions. And then when he came up with the solution, he said, have them sit down, you know, in groups of 50. Then they're more willing to help because they're part of the problem now. So they want to be part of the solution. Also, we find besides sending them out two by two, uh, the Lord told them, to pray for the Lord to send out laborers. Pray the Lord to send out laborers into the harvest. Um, and if you think about it, if we're praying really hard about something, maybe uh, for any kind of service, what you'll find if I'm praying very hard about something, that I am more likely to participate and help in this service. I'm more likely to help if it's something that's occupying my mind and my prayer then I'll be willing to work. Maybe the best you know, committee or the best committees in the church are often the ones about the suggestions. We all have many suggestions. But let's take these suggestions and put them into prayer. And as we pray for them day day in and day out, we'll find what? That as I pray for this, the Holy Spirit will move my heart and it's not going to be just a suggestion, but I want to be part of the what? The solution. I want to work. For example, you know, uh, it's known we need a school, right? The way the schools are going, we need some kind of, uh, of school for, to, you know, a place where our children can learn and be protected. Okay. 
if this is a great idea, what a wonderful. So let's, let's pray about it. If all of us pray about it, then more people will come and say, you know, Abuna, I'm ready, I'm willing to help in this. Such a great endeavor. But if I'm not praying about it, and I say, yeah, it's a wonderful idea. What's the likelihood of me participating in the solution? We need to pray the Lord send out laborers, and when we do so, we perhaps might be moved to participate in the labor. He also tells them, to, and he says, I send you out as lambs among wolves. This sounds nice, but if we think about it, why would the shepherd send out his lamb to be in the middle of wolves? Didn't we hear in another passage about the good shepherd that he says he gives his life for his sheep? So the shepherd's responsibility is to do what? Is to protect his sheep. And now you're telling us you're going to send us out as lamb among wolves? Or we're highly unmatched and we're certainly going to be, you know, ripped into pieces. What's going on? He knows it's by the loving sacrifice of the sheep that fertilizes the hearts of the wolves with his grace to transform the wolves into sheep. The Lord understands that when he sends out his lambs among wolves and the wolves devour the lamb, the wolves themselves will become lamb themselves. And this will spread. The Lord um, gave a similar idea in John chapter 12. He said, Most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Like the seed, it produces fruit only when it die, when it's dead and is buried. Then it produces fruit. And what happens when it produces fruit? More what falls? More fruit and more seed. Right, And then you can have an expansion of trees. So you go from one seed, you can have a whole forest. Right, It's the same concept. So the Lord Christ understood this. So yes, he's the good shepherd, he protects the sheep. But at the end of the day, the sheep sacrifice because their love for their Savior. So they themselves, they give their life for their Savior to um, spread the good news to the whole world. He also tells the disciples to remain focused. Don't worry about food, about clothing, about relationships. Um, don't be overly concerned about these things, but to remain focused. And there will be many temptations aimed simply at distraction. It might not be sinful, but many is the purpose is just to distract you. When he says, do not greet anyone in the street, how are you not going to greet anyone if you're, out, you're going out there to preach you know, and to share the message? Of course we're going to greet people. The idea is here is don't be attached by relationships to the point where you can't move on. You stay in one place because of the relationships that I have. I can't move on. I can't speak to somebody else. Many people might have like these diff these groups where these are the only people that I speak with in the church. Very common among the young people, but even among the adults. Right? Well, these are my friends. I don't want anybody else. I'm satisfied with them. Okay, then how are we supposed to prepare our people for the, uh, for the, to receive the Lord if we're not willing to talk to them? and welcome them, and speak to them about the Lord. Lastly, he says that uh, we are messengers of peace. And if somebody rejects the peace that you come to give to them, your peace will return to you. You have to keep in mind, we are supposed to be agents of peace. This again is something the world needs very badly, agents of peace. How can I make peace among my brethren, not ignite the fire whether in person or on social media. So if we are faithful in preparing for his people, 
We prepare them for the judgment day, eternity, to be beacons of light, to face heresy, martyrdom. Then at the end, he promises us a share in his kingdom. And he says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice because your names are written in heaven. When participate in the work of the Lord and sharing this message and prepare the next generation to be witnesses and to further prepare the rest of the, pe- of the other people in the world, then we will have our names written in the kingdom of heaven. And this is what should give us joy. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen.